Before I get into today's episode of the Everyday Life Bible Study Podcast, I want to talk a little bit about the time that we're in right now. I don't know when you are listening to this. However, uh, at the time of recording, we are in the coronavirus uh, quarantine period. The state of Colorado is, uh, as long with other states, um, is in a shelter-in-place order. And so only essential travel, uh, stay-at-home, uh, work from home. Uh, there are those who are uh, essential uh, to everybody's life, healthcare workers, grocery store workers, various people like that who um, have to go to work. And so while we pray for them, most of the country is in a situation where, uh, most of the state is in a, is in a situation where um, we're at home. And I was talking to somebody on the phone not too long ago, and they had some really insightful comments that made me start thinking about Sabbath. And um, what I mean is, uh, well, let me take the roundabout way to this. If you remember, if you've read the Old Testament, you know that the nation of Israel went into exile uh, because of disobedience. Uh, It was something that God said... um, If you forsake me, if you go after other gods, then this is going to happen. You're going to go into exile, into a far off place. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. And uh, they forsook God. They followed after other gods and uh, they were exiled uh, to Babylon. Another big reason. So there was the disobedience reason there. Another big reason for the exile. If you read through this, you see that God cared much for the land And he said, the land is finally able to have its Sabbath and uh, basically to catch up on Sabbaths because they hadn't been observing them. And so uh, there was a Sabbath rest uh, for the land that came as a result of this negative um, consequence of their actions. Uh, Now, I am not for one moment suggesting that coronavirus and all of this is somehow God's judgment on uh, the United States or actually the world. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that at all. Uh, however, in a negative circumstance, something positive can come out of this from the standpoint of we are, so many people are experiencing a rest, a Sabbath that they would not have otherwise had, that they had not been observing, that admittedly I'd not been observing uh, to a very great degree as well. We find ourselves at home. We're reconnecting as a family. Uh, we are uh, rediscovering one another, you know, and this is the um, this is the common thread that I'm hearing through a lot of people. They're seeing the bright side of things, you know. I, I can imagine that as a result of this, we're going to see a decline in divorce rates. I believe... As a result, we're going to see changed homes, even when all of this is over, and that things will be different moving forward. Uh, I think we're going to see happier families as a result of this as well. So um, what I'm saying is there's an opportunity that is being handed to us right now, and it comes in the form of a negative thing that's happening to our nation, to our land, and that is we're finally able to enjoy the Sabbath the Sabbaths that we have ignored. And so I want to encourage you in that. And I want to um, uh, just just hope that you see that and take advantage of this time with your family, with yourself, 
and uh, enjoy the Sabbath rest that God really desires for you. All right, let's get on with today's podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Everyday Life Bible Study Podcast. I am Paul Church, your host, your guide through a study of the life of Jesus, at least the way I see it. Uh, We're going through um, episodes in Jesus's life where he is interacting with people. It's not necessarily his teachings. Yes, we're getting a lot of teachings, but we're focusing specifically on the um, interactions that he's had with people. And uh, today I'm very excited. Uh, we're, it, it, this is an interaction that he had with 5,000 people. Well, actually, probably a whole lot more than that. But before we get into that, I want to thank you for tuning in today. And I want to ask you a favor. If you like this podcast, if it's been a blessing to you, if you've learned anything from it, um, or it's just a great way to pass the time, then um, head on over to iTunes and give us a five-star rating. Those things really do help Uh, when it comes to getting this message out and getting up in those rankings and and making this podcast um, uh, just out there more, expanding this influence. So if you wouldn't mind doing that, I would greatly appreciate it. That's all I have in the way of commercials. So today, let's just get right into this, okay? Um, Today is the one when Jesus feeds the 5,000. I'm sure you already kind of figured that out. The cool thing about this is it's mentioned in every gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, uh, they all have they all have a story of when Jesus fed the five thousand. It's Matthew fourteen, Luke nine, Mark six, John six, and we're going to jump around a bit through a few of these accounts today. Three of those four, actually. So let me give you a little bit of context. John the Baptist had just been executed by Herod. Herod was the Roman appointed king of Judah. Um, appointed by Rome. Jesus talked about John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 11, verse 14. It says John, the, he basically just came out and said it, that John the Baptist is the Elijah who was to come. Um, the herald that was prophesied about in the Old Testament in Malachi chapter 3, first verse says, I'll send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Isaiah 40, verse 3 says, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. And he was Jesus's cousin. So Jesus's ministry was in association and contemporary with his cousin's ministry. So his death uh, affected him very deeply. Not only was John the Baptist the one, that prophet, that voice that was preparing the way for the Lord, but also family. Uh, So when Jesus heard news of John the Baptist's death, it affected him very deeply. He wanted to go to a quiet place I believe, to grieve for a while. John chapter 6 said he went to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee just to get away. So he was on his one, so he was on one side teaching the people in parables. He left, went to the other side, if you remember, to set this demon-possessed guy free. He came right back. He healed the woman who had the issue of blood and raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. Now he's going across again to a different shore. Uh, man, talk about a long day. But he, he apparently had some kind of break in between because he did have time to send out the 12 uh, to do all kinds of miraculous things and the power that he gave them, if you remember from a couple of weeks ago, or I guess it was last, last episode. 
I'm, I'm sure um, this all went on for way more than an afternoon. So how long were they gone? Those the, the 12 that he sent out, not too sure. It doesn't really matter. But in that time, Jesus's disciples were traveling around. He learned of John's death. And I believe he really wanted to get away for a while. Before he had the chance, his disciples came back to him and reported all that had happened. And Mark 6, I mean, they were were so excited. You know, you're not going to believe what happened. They were like little kids coming back from an event or a movie or something, you know, telling him all about it. Mark 6 um, records this um, episode as Jesus was planning to leave. You know, little kids, when when they've done something amazing, you know, or uh, whether it's a video game, a victory, or uh, a movie that they really loved, or an event, or something like that. They want to tell you everything, but have you ever been, you know, parents, have you ever been in that time where your kid wanted to tell you everything about it, and they're so excited, but you're kind of in the middle of something that you're trying to do, you know? Some of you have been in the position of grieving, even, just like Jesus was here, but people still wanted to be around you, but really all you wanted was to be alone, you know, friends who have wonderful attention intentions, and we're, we're so patient with them, but sometimes too much company makes it hard to grieve properly, and I wonder if that's what Jesus was experiencing. So let's hop over now to Matthew chapter 14, verse 13 here. It says, let me get to that, when Jesus heard what had happened talking about he heard that John the Baptist was beheaded by Herod. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. And uh, we knew we know from Mark's account that the disciples were with him, but he slipped away private, privately, trying to be unnoticed. A solitary place, um, literally an uninhabited, desolate, lonely place. You know, we see him do this a few times in the Gospels, Uh, for prayer, going away to a solitary, lonely place. This time, it was not necessarily motivated for the desire to pray. I'm sure that came out of that, but but it it, it was motivated by grief. I'm sure he was going to pray, but it was motivated by his grief. I mean, can you see and appreciate his humanity here? Through this, through this study, I hope that the love of Jesus has become apparent to you, how deeply he loved people, how deeply he loved his cousin John. And so he finally gets away only to find that it didn't work. I mean, after a long day, I mean, he's done so much and he's given himself and given himself because he had compassion on people. He gets away only to find that it didn't work. He's not alone. Let's read the, the, the rest of verse 13 of Matthew chapter 14. He, so he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. They, uh, instead of going on a boat, they just went around on the, on the shore and went around um, to, to cut him off. And now I know what I would be doing right now. If I was Jesus, I'd be like, hey, um, Peter, um, let's just act like we don't see them and sail for another port. I mean, that's, I hate to say it, but that's what I would have done right there. I mean, he did try to slip away from the people privately, right? And so if it was me, I'd have been like, okay, we're just la-di-da, not, not, we don't see them. Let's, uh, let's, let's just be cool and, uh, and sail casually back to, the, to a different port here. I mean, I can imagine him seeing the people, <sighs> giving a big sigh, Slight smile reminding himself, you know, this is why I'm here. 
kind of like that Samaritan woman at the well that we talked about, uh, talked about, man, a long time ago. The disciples went to buy food. This is when he was in Samaria and he met the woman at the well. The disciples went to buy food. But when they returned, Jesus wasn't hungry. He said, you know, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And maybe now he's saying, you know, I really wanted to get away. But, you know, my rest, my healing comes from serving people. That's, that's why I'm here. That's what I came to do. I didn't come to be served. I, I came to serve and he's going to a, to, a, to a lonely place, a desolate place, to get away and grieve for his family member that was brutally murdered. And, and he just can't seem to do it. The crowds are following him. And I, I'm sure that when he saw the people, there was a big sigh. But something inside of me says, you know, that, that Jesus said, you know, this is why I'm here. My rest, my healing comes from serving people. You know, there, there are a lot of wonderful uh, warriors who serve in their churches on Sunday mornings um, in the nursery or in kids' church. And uh, it's something that I, I've done, I can't do. And, um, and people, you know, I've heard some people say, well, I, I can't do that because, you know, I want to be fed. And that always, as a pastor, that always rubbed me the wrong way, you know, because I think, you know, it's actually, and, and if you've ever said this, understand I say it with love, but that's a very selfish way to look at uh, our own Christianity. You know, I just, I want to be fed. And uh, it's like, well, so what are you doing the rest of the week? Are you starving yourself? And when Jesus, with the woman at the well, he says, my, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And here, you know, he was tired, he was lonely, he was, he was alone, he was grieving, and, and, and he saw the people and he had compassion on them because it fills him up. Sure, it's a sacrifice for people to serve, you know, outside of being in the sanctuary, but God, I believe, pours into their lives in greater measure, you know? Um... Let's look at Matthew chapter 14 again, the next verse, verse 14. It says, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. He began to minister to them while inwardly he was hurting. And then he, sta- then he, then he took it a step further. Now, I've been a part of uh, long meetings where the prayer time went on for hours. We, you know, I got saved as a teenager in in a in a Assembly of God Pentecostal church, and we had Sunday night services. And man, there was there was they loved it because there was no time limits, no lunch to go to. But uh, man. And we had prayer for so, so long. And it, sometimes it seemed like it'd gone for hours, you know. But uh, it's a great time. But everybody was always glad, whether they would admit it or not, when the pastor dismissed everybody uh, so they could go home. But uh, this is where the story gets good here. So Matthew chapter 14, uh, let's look at verse 15. As evening approached, how long had he been doing this? I don't know. But as evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place. And it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Now let's switch over to Mark's account, because I like the way Mark Mark puts this. Verse 37 of Mark chapter 6. But he answered, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, that would take more than a half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Go and see. And when they find out, they said, five. Oh, and two fish. 
probably said sarcastically, you know, not that they had a lot of money anyway, you know, not, I don't believe they probably had a half a year's wages tucked away in their, in their purses, you know, to go buy food there, you know, um, but they were estimating that it would cost about that much. You know, Jesus said, you give them something to eat. They started counting the cost. We don't have the money to do that. And even if we did, we would, you would want us to use all that money just to buy one dinner for all these people. I mean, isn't that what we do? God puts a dream in our hearts or we feel he's telling us to do something. So we start doing the math and we find that it's impossible, right? So we set the dream aside for something more practical, more of a sure thing, maybe Um, a little story from our ministerial history, me and my wife, when we moved from being a youth pastor in Oklahoma to a lead pastor in Missouri, following the direction of the Lord, um, absolutely following the direction of the Lord. It was a, it was a good thing, but we, we were youth pastors in the Tulsa area of Oklahoma. And, uh, we went to be a lead pastor in Southeast Missouri and we made exactly half the salary. Um, as a senior pastor, as a lead pastor in Missouri than what we made as a, as youth pastors in Oklahoma. Now, sure, there was a parsonage that we didn't have to pay for, but still the math didn't add up. Uh, it wasn't supposed to work. And I, I, I'm doing the math and we're talking to them and they're wonderful people and they're doing everything they can do, but I'm doing the math and simply saying, no, we, we just, we really just can't do it. And Vicki has more faith than I do. So, uh, and she said, let's, let's do this, Right. The math didn't add up. God said go. He not only took care of us, but we ended up paying off debts that we couldn't pay off when we were getting paid twice as much. And so that was pretty incredible. So the, so the disciples, so we, we've experienced this in our own lives. So the disciples started counting the people and counting their resources, and it just didn't add up. But they found five loaves of bread and two fish. Now that's not enough to feed the 12 disciples and Jesus, okay? John's account said that the food belonged to a young boy, uh, but he was most likely there to, well, sell food. Once again, they had no idea that Jesus could feed all these people. When they were in the middle of the Sea of Galilee in the storm, they had no clue that Jesus could make the storm stop. They had seen him do amazing things like well, bring a dead girl back to life. But they saw no solution to the challenge that Jesus was putting before them now. Feeding 5,000, it says that there were 5,000, but that was just the men. Um, so it doesn't include women and children. Uh, and so we're looking at, you know, maybe minimum 10,000, maximum 15,000 people here. Uh, that's a big crowd. And Jesus already had a plan, though. He knew that what he knew what he was going to do but the disciples didn't have a clue. Have you, ever, have you ever began to do something that you just didn't have the ability to do, uh, that, but, but you've, you, you've counted the cost, you realized I can't do this, but something inside you just made, it, made you do it anyway? Um, I signed up, man, I guess it was 2017, three years ago, I signed up to do a Ragnar Relay. Um, and uh, this is a 200-mile relay from Copper Mountain in Colorado to Aspen, Colorado. Um, and it was, it, was, it was amazing. There was six of us. So we were an ultra team. A regular team is 12, so each person runs three legs. Um, but on an ultra team, there's half of that. There's six people 
who run six legs each. And so it turns out to be probably an average of around 30, it was a little over 200 miles. It was probably about 35 miles per person was the average. Uh, six of us up and down over, over Vail Pass. I actually ran from the, if you've ever been to Colorado and on I-70 um, going up toward Vail, uh, Vail Pass is, is, a, is, is the highest point on I-70. I can't remember how, how high it is. It's over well over 10,000 feet, approaching 11,000 feet, I think. Anyways, but going from the bottom to the top, I mean, the, the angle of ascent is, is insane. And it's four miles, four to four and a half miles from the very bottom of it all the way to the top. And one of my legs, my second leg, was to run from the bottom of Vale Pass all the way up to the top, straight up, not one flat, not one going down, all uphill. And um, I was able to do it. I, I trained. Uh, hard. I trained hills. I trained at altitude. It's a challenge that I got myself into. But, you know, as I was training, I, I, I'm looking at Vail Pass. You know, I drove over it a couple of times in the meantime thinking, I can't do this. I'm just not going to be able to do this. So it's like I got some work in front of me. And so my mornings were spent running um, long distances and running hills and sometimes two, three runs a day to get ready for this thing. You know, not not easy, not always fun. Um, and, uh, but, uh, I'd never ran anything like this. So I was in this process of discovering what I was capable of. Turns out I did it and it was amazing. And, um, it was, it was, it was one of the greatest things that I physically, at least that I'd ever done. And I, I was in this, I, this discovery of what I was capable of doing here physically, at least, um, and there's been other times in my life where it's like, I just didn't realize I, I had that in me or I could, I could do something like that, you know, realizing that God's helped me in, in various ways in certain instances. And so, but, was, you know, really we're all discovering what we're capable of as time goes on. And Jesus's disciples, they were also in a time of discovery, discovering who Jesus was and what he was capable of. And I want to invite you into the same realm of discovery, to discover who Jesus is and what he's done for us, how he's at work in our world and in our lives today, that when life throws a challenge at us and we realize that I'm not able to accomplish this, you know, that we would respond by giving an opportunity for God to work. Can anyone relate to this? You know, what, what's our typical reaction when we're confronted with a difficult challenge, something we don't think we can overcome? Typically, it's not good. Could it sometimes be God handing it to us or throwing it at us? I think much of what Jesus did was for the disciples' sake, to teach them about what it means to go through life with him, to help them learn how to respond to life's challenges and even impossible situations that they, that they encountered. Hope that they're, uh, here, they're, here they're doing their, their knee-jerk signature freak out, right? We saw them do it in the boat during the storm. Jesus, we're going to drown. And now we see them doing it again. We can't feed all these people. We don't have enough money. And I want to take this opportunity that, to say that God really doesn't care how much stuff costs. God has told some of you to give more, but you don't think you can afford it. He wants others to commit more to missions, but you don't think you can afford it. He wants others to start a ministry or start a business or, or start something that's one and the same, and, and you just don't think you can. And Jesus told 12 guys to provide food for 10 to 15,000 people. And he's, they said, in one evening, we can't afford that, they said. That's impossible. 
you know, we, we found this kid who's selling bread, and all he has is five loaves. Oh, yeah, and <laughs> two fish. Jesus, I know you have good intentions, but, you know, this doesn't really fit with reality. And many people who believe in Jesus and claim to follow him, man, we really don't think he can do anything beyond what we can see. Can I, can I repeat that? Because it, it's hitting me all over again, and maybe it's hitting you too. Listen to this. Many people who believe in Jesus, like you and me, and we claim to follow him, we don't really think that he can do anything beyond what we're able to see or comprehend. We don't, hence, we don't really have a belief in the supernatural because the natural is, is what we can do. It's what's before us. It's what can be manipulated, right, by, in, by rational means. But the supernatural is something that only God can do, something that is beyond us, that is beyond physics, that is beyond what can be uh, fixed by, by human ingenuity. Supernatural, those things that only God can do. We're so caught up in what we can see, touch, and feel in our lives that we just don't think God can, and sometimes that's, that's so out of control, we don't think that God can move in the supernatural. So what are you following him for then, is the big question. It's like we're following him, but we don't think he can lead us anywhere different than where we're already capable of going. You know what I mean? So let's, let's follow the story and see what happened here. Let's now go to John chapter 6. Let's see what John has to say about it. Starting in verse 10, Jesus said, Have the people sit down. And there was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted, as much as they wanted. It wasn't rationed. It was an all-you-can-eat buffet. And he did the same with the fish. And when they had all had enough to eat, they were all full to the point of being satisfied. He said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Look, it doesn't matter how little you think you have. When you offer it to Jesus, he'll make it sufficient. Matter of fact, he'll make it more than sufficient. They picked up more leftovers than what they started with. You hear that? Five loaves and two fish wouldn't have filled up one of those baskets. And they picked up 12 basketfuls. Remember the one about turning water into wine? This was some time ago. I think it was like episode three or something. We talked about abundance. He created more wine than what they could or even should be drinking. And it didn't cost the disciples anything. He took what they had and made it more. And that's what he wants to do in our lives, in your life. The point was to meet the needs in others people in other people's lives, you know, that that let's feed these people, let's bless them. I mean, this is isn't for us to get it's not a get rich thing, you know. He was serving people both in supernatural and practical ways. And if you commit to doing the practical, he can work the supernatural through you as well. Just like he did through the disciples here. Following Jesus is a life of discovery. He calls us out into the great unknown with him. So um, speaking of that, let's throw in another episode here while we're at it. The one when Jesus walks on water. This is back in Matthew chapter 14. It's right after this. Matthew chapter 14. It's kind of a lengthy passage here. Verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. It's like, okay, we're done. <laughs> let's, let's go back, you know. Um, let's go. Uh, he made the disciples get into the boat, go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up, oh, finally, 
to get away up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately, immediately, he cried out to the Lord. He let fear overtake him. And uh, Jesus didn't scold him when he cried out to him. But immediately when when Peter cried out to him, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And uh, now I... I just said Jesus didn't scold him. And what it sounds like here is that he scolded him, scolded him. You have little faith. Why did you doubt? I saw a Jesus movie one time and uh, it depicted this particular scene. And uh, man, I I wish I could remember the producers of it. But um, this this Jesus movie um, about the life of Christ, Jesus and Peter, Jesus calls Peter out of the water and Peter gets afraid, starts to sink. Jesus saves him. They get back into the boat and Jesus starts laughing hysterically. And he, he just looks at Peter and while laughing, you of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? I mean, don't forget, don't let the fact that he, he sank, don't let that be, uh, don't let the fact that he walked on water be lost um, just by the fact that he started to sink because he was afraid. The dude walked on water. He was willing to get out of the boat, all right? And in, in, in a choppy, uh, very choppy sea, apparently, here, uh, in very deep water. And um, he was willing to get out and, uh, and walk on the waves here. And so I think that's really cool, you know? Um, well, could Peter, could Peter, could he have just swam? Well, remember, when he said he was beginning to sink, he was afraid. He, he was afraid because of the water and the waves. And in beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. So there's something to that, that it wasn't just, well, if I'm not walking, I'll just be swimming. Uh, there was more to it. You have little faith. Why did you, why did you doubt? But don't forget that the guy actually walked on water. And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then, listen to this, then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Now, these are his disciples, right? Didn't they already know this? Remember, they're on a journey of discovery. Jesus is taking them on this journey here now, and they're learning who he is. There's the, you know, when he said, follow me, they, they followed because it's like, you know, this guy could be somebody. Then they saw him do some stuff and perform some miracles, and they're thinking, no, he's definitely somebody. And uh, after a while, they get to this point of, truly, you are the Son of God. And Jesus here with Peter particularly is saying, Peter, I want you to to do this with me. When they were feeding the 5,000, he distributed to the disciples and they gave it to the people. And it was saying, do this with me. They had been watching him do all kinds of amazing things. Now, like a great coach, he says, do it with me. Feed these people with me. Come here out on the water with me. And he's calling you to do the same, not necessarily to feed thousands of people like this, most likely not to walk on water, 
but to be a participant with him in what he wants to do on the earth. It's more than what you and I are capable of doing. It really is. To be participant with him in what he wants to do in your home, your church, your neighborhood. So what's the takeaway? The practical application for us today is simply this. Lord, make this your prayer. Lord, if it's you, you've, maybe you feel like the Lord has called you to do something, is asking you to do something here. There's a step of faith that he wants you to take and you've been saying, I can't afford it or I can't do it or it's impossible. Today, make this your prayer. Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. I'll get out of the boat. Lord, if it's you, invite me in with you to do what you're doing in the world around me. And I believe that if you do that, man, you will be amazed. Your relationship in Christ will grow. Your faith in him will grow. You'll be amazed. Truly, you are God. You you are with me. Truly, you... Faith in you is, is well-placed, and, and your faith will continue to grow in that, and you'll discover more of who God is and how he works in your life and how he walks with you. Lord, if it's you, is that you today? Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And he will. And you will find that he will be with you every step of the way. Well, that's about all the time we have for today. Thanks for joining me as we um, go through the life of Christ. Uh, Once again, if you enjoyed this podcast, please go over to iTunes, give us a five-star rating. Thanks so much for that. And in the meantime, until, until, until we meet again through this podcast, my constant prayer for you is that the Word of God will become alive to you in your everyday life. Thanks so much.